Jazz Notes podcast. Ben Anderson, Chandler Holt, recording today a Wednesday. Usually we knock this off on a Tuesday, but uh, I've been out of town, so I appreciate everyone waiting until Wednesday. Big show today. We're going to talk about a couple of jazz signings that they made last week. Kind of surprising, I thought, the timing. Uh, and then some of the names, we'll break those down for you. We'll get you uh, caught up on the latest with FIBA. Still some jazz players competing. Some guys uh, wrapped up their FIBA tournaments. We'll look at the best Worst and most likely scenario for the Jazz this season, we're a little past the one-year anniversary of Donovan Mitchell's trade to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Do we have a definitive winner? Uh, And if not, how do we decide that? We'll get into a little bit of the Jazz 50 we've recapped on the Jake and Ben show over the last five days. And then we will uh, knock out your mailbag questions as we do every week. Chandler, what's going on? Excited to talk some basketball today. The Jazz signed three players to short-term deals a few days ago. First, we have Romeo Langford. Tavion Kinsley, and Nick Ongenda. Langford is a former 2019 first-round pick. Um, and funny enough, Danny Ainge actually drafted him when he was over there in Boston. Uh, what do you think about these signings from the Jazz? Yeah, I think Langford's probably the name to keep an eye on. Kinsey and Ongenda were, you know, guys that played w- with the team during Vegas. And they looked okay. I mean, I remember a couple of times watching both those guys and thinking like, oh, I see it. I, I get it. Anjana uh, specifically is a very good shot blocker. It's kind of his thing that he did in college. Didn't have great numbers otherwise, but it translated also when he got into the summer league as well. So those guys, you know, it, it, it's depth going into the training camp season. You have a couple of extra bodies. I think that's always an essential piece of, of your training camp roster. Romeo Langford obviously was the interesting one. A former lottery pick by Danny Ainge in Boston. If I remember correctly, he was the youngest player in the 2019 NBA draft. I remember talking to him at the draft lottery. I was there uh, when he was getting interviewed the day before. Didn't jump off the page necessarily, but that doesn't mean a whole lot. You know, Dante Exum's one of the best pre-draft interviews I've ever seen and wasn't a great NBA player, and it took a long time before. And we'll see if he even you know pans out with Dallas this year. But Romeo's young and has a ton of talent and, and was interesting, uh, but never really put it together. And his fatal flaw is he can't shoot, and he's never been able to shoot. And if you can't shoot at that position in the NBA, you really don't belong, unfortunately. As athletic as he is, but 28% from three for your career is not good enough. Uh, four and a half points, two rebounds, less than an assist per game. There must be something there that Danny Ainge feels like is untapped, and they were never able to fully bring out of him. And I'm not convinced, and maybe this is the most important thing, I'm not convinced that the Jazz three two-way deals are cement. You know, I, I'm not sure that Micah Potter has fully earned that yet. He was on the team last year. I know he got hurt. He's still on the deal, but like, what is it's five hundred thousand dollars? Well, that's not a huge contract in NBA terms. Uh, Joey Hauser was signed the day after the draft or the night of the draft, and was pretty bad during summer league. So, if you needed to bite that bullet and cut him, fine, you could bite that bullet and cut him. Especially if you feel like there's a guy here who belongs, or maybe these are all kind of these these you know. I don't want to say under the table. That's not what it is at all. But kind of these verbal agreements like they had with Frank Jackson of we're going to sign you to these Exhibit 10 contracts. We're going to waive you. But then we own your G League rights. You go and play for the Stars. And at some point, we will bring you up on a 10-day deal. So, yes, you can make the max that you can make in the G League. But we will also make good on that by signing you to one or two 10-day deals. And that will add another you know $50,000 to your bank account. And that way we kind of make you whole, even if we're not signing you to a full two-way, a two-way deal. So we'll make you a little bit of extra money there. But this is the type of connection that Danny Ainge has 
that brings value to you. I'm no, I don't know if a former lottery pick who's going to be a G League player this year chooses Salt Lake unless he's comfortable with the guy who's drafted him. And Danny Ainge has a ton of cachet. And I remember asking Justin Zanuck about this when Danny Ainge got hired. I said, what does it mean to bring in a guy with that type of name value? And he said, it can't hurt. That's all he said. It can't hurt. And I, you know, it wasn't like he was offended that Danny was getting hired and getting this big promotion or, or you know, getting this big job at the Jazz. But I think having that type of name value matters. And, and agents know it and players know it. I mean, Danny Ainge is a legend when it comes to being a front office member. I don't know why he's not in the Hall of Fame. That's probably someplace he belongs and will get there eventually. I honestly don't know the history of executives making the Hall of Fame while they're still active. But Danny Ainge one day will be a Hall of Famer. And those names carry weight, and it's why you get a guy like Romeo Langford, and then the other two guys. Yeah, you bring them in. You have depth on the uh, you have depth on the roster going into fall camp, training camp, whatever you want to call it. And I think that's fine. At first, I was confused by these signings because the it puts the Jazz at 18 players. They yep. need to get back to 15 on opening night. But the more I sat with it and looked at the stats and the, their play styles, it, it made sense to me. I think that at the very least, it's going to make training camp a little bit more competitive, make the guys who are guaranteed to be on the roster may work a little bit harder. Not that they aren't going to work as hard as they can already, sure. but I think that it could be a good thing. And when you have a guy with untapped potential, untapped potential in Romeo Langford, it can't hurt. Yeah, and you've got Chris Dunn, Lucas Shamanich, Omer Yurtsevin are all on kind of partially guaranteed deals. They have certain dates where they'll get a lot. I think Omer Yurtsevin has the most guaranteed money, so most likely he's on the roster and the Jazz need a true backup center. So I think he makes the team. I, I'm pretty sure Chris Dunn makes the team. I could see Samanich potentially not being on the roster. I, I don't think it's going to be the case. I would say odds are you know, in his favor that he makes the final opening day roster, uh, but it's not guaranteed. And if somebody jumps up and you know really outplays him, great. But Micah Potter, Joey Hauser, I don't know. I think the Jazz do like Johnny Juzang. I get the feeling they like Johnny Juzang, and he shot the heck out of the ball in Vegas. And if he shoots, he's an NBA player. That was his big question. He's got an NBA game, uh, and if he can shoot close to 40%, he has real value. He's got pretty good size, and he moves pretty well. So I think they were happy with what they got out of him in summer league, and that's why he was able to come back on that two-way deal. But I, I, be- years old. I believe in his two-way deal more than they do the other two, as far as it's, it's safety with the organization. All right, let's get into some FIBA. Um, we had a bunch of games from still all five of the players. Clarkson, probably the biggest topic right now. Even though the Philippines are eliminated, they yep. still played a few more games, and he played incredibly. Against China, he put up 34, including 20 straight points in the end of the third quarter. He went on a solo 20-point run, added five three-pointers. And then the following game against South Sudan, he put up 24. Yeah, and did so in under four minutes. Did 20 points in under four minutes. It's a Tracy McGrady versus the Spurs type run. And very cool to get to do it in front of his hometown. He got to do it in Manila, uh, playing for Philippines. That was so cool. And they hadn't won a game, and they finally were able to break through against China. That was very cool. I was excited for Jordan, in all honesty. You know, I, I know it had been rocky. The fans had booed at one point, and it seemed like he was questioning, like, why? what am I doing? You know what I mean? Like, why am I here? I didn't want to get that reception, but he has this uh, this big moment, and it can be an all-time moment for his career because he is a national hero over there. I mean, I-, I can see it. When I write articles about Jordan Clarkson, they get picked up by Filipino news agencies you know, and outlets, and they get, they get clicks, and they're not just all you know, jazz fans or Jordan Clarkson fans. There are a huge basketball following in, uh, in the Philippines, and Jordan Clarkson's a big part of that. And then Lowry continued to play well, and then most importantly, nobody got hurt. You know, nobody got hurt. Simone Fontecchio had a very successful run. We'll see if he can carry that back to the U.S. when he's playing with the Jazz this year. Jordan looked about as I expected. 
I think Lowry was about what I expected. And then, of course, the uh, two guys still alive, Kelly Olenek and Canada. Awesome for them. They've actually qualified for the Olympics next year already. So he's going to see that through. And he's been a big part of uh, Canadian basketball turning into what it is now. I told you I thought they were a dark horse to win this whole thing at the very beginning. And they've kind of you know carried through on that. Uh, and they advance now. And then, uh, of course, Team USA and Walker Kessler just absolutely beat up on Italy and they needed it after their loss, suffering their first loss. So they are in a good spot now to advance as well. And we'll see uh, with one more win if they can make it to the championship round. Yes, I was I was honestly worried about Fontecchio's future with the Jazz because the additions like Bryce Sensabaugh and other young guys like Juzang who could potentially jump up and steal some of his minutes. He's played great for Italy. Uh, he put up 30 points, seven rebounds, three assists and a two point win over Serbia. So he was basically the reason they were able to pull out that win. And then he also put up 18 and 5, another great game going against USA and NBA defenders. He's an NBA player. He's an NBA quality player. The question is can he be an NBA role player and not be the star? He really benefits from being a star in Italy and having the ball and having his usage through the roof. And that's not who he's going to be in the NBA. He's got NBA talent. Can he be an NBA role player is a big question for him, and it's going to come down to does he play defense well enough? Is he moving the ball? Is he hitting threes at 40%? Like all the things you have to do to be a premier role player that will keep him in the NBA. Because if not, he can go play overseas and make a lot of money because he's really good. He's really good, and a European team I think would love to throw a bunch of money at him to uh, to come in and, and play over there. Kelly Olenek this morning, we're, again, we're recording this on a Wednesday, uh, 23 minutes, 7 points, 4 assists, and five rebounds as Canada beats Slovenia to advance. So cool to see uh, Canada stay alive. Team USA back in action. Is it tomorrow? They play Thursday morning. Team USA is going to play... No, they're not in action until Friday. They play Germany, who is, uh, I think, the lone undefeated team remaining, 6-0 and against yes. Germany. And they have a bunch of NBA talent like Dennis Schroeder, Franz Wagner, Mo Wagner, and others. Uh, Canada plays Serbia on Friday morning as well. So big big games Friday, a chance to end up with uh, Kelly Olenek and Walker Kessler going to head-to-head Sunday morning early for the FIBA title if both of those teams win. All right, when we come back, we are a year removed from the Donovan Mitchell trade. Do we have a definitive winner yet? If not, how will that be decided? We will touch on that, the latest names in the Jazz Top 50 Players of All Time, and then we will get to your mailbag. Stick around. More Jazz Notes coming up next. All right, back with Jazz Notes. Ben Anderson, Chandler Holt, KSL Sports. We are one year removed, uh, one year and a few days. It was uh, technically September 1st. When the Jazz traded Donovan Mitchell to the Cleveland Cavaliers last year. Do we have a definitive winner yet? I will tell you, reading Cavaliers fans, they think it's crazy that anyone thinks the Jazz won this trade. Like, they are so in love with Donovan Mitchell, and rightfully so. He came in, he got him to the playoffs, he was clearly the best player on the team, he had the 60-point performance. Like, that's bananas. It's crazy how good Donovan Mitchell was at times last year. And... Fizzled in the playoffs. Yep. Uh, and, and I don't really want to say, he, as he's known to do, he's actually a great playoff player. Like, he's been a terrific playoff player. His teams haven't had a ton of success. But he's been a great playoff player historically and wasn't able to do it against the Knicks. And, of course, Jalen Brunson did his Jalen Brunson thing, which he did to him here as well uh, in the playoffs. And I think that was pretty brutal to watch. But, yeah, Donovan, I mean, his last four games of the season last year in the regular season before he sat out the last two because Cleveland had wrapped up their spot – he averaged like 41 points a game. Like He's crazy. He had four straight 40 points per game. He was better in Cleveland 
than he ever was in Utah. I don't think that's all that hot of a take. It's pretty amazing when he's at his best. Oh, by the way, it was 71 points for Donovan Mitchell. Yes. He had 71 points in a game last year. Like, one of the greatest NBA games ever that we've ever seen. 71 points? That's unfathomable. And he did it. So I get why Cleveland Cavaliers fans are over the moon with Donovan Mitchell. At the same point, the Jazz got Lowry Markkinen. There's pretty high hopes for Ochai Abaji. I think he's a role player. I don't think he's a star player. I think he's going to be a pretty good role player. I don't know what to make of Colin Sexton yet. Remains to be seen. But like Lowry Markkinen's an all-star caliber player, potential all-NBA player. Probably should have made it last year in my opinion. And then you just have this slew of draft picks that we haven't seen pay off yet. They haven't gotten to the Cavaliers' picks. They will start doing that uh, coming up in 2025. Yes, there's three unprotected first-round picks in 25, 27, and 29, and then two pick swaps where the Jazz will get the better version in 26 and 28. Uh, and, and, you know, the question for the Cavaliers and defining this winner long-term is going to be if, if Donovan resigns. Yes. That's going to be—I don't even think it matters all that much what Donovan does. It matters if he resigns. If he resigns, I think the Cavaliers can safely say it was either an equal or a winning trade. You won't say you lost the trade. Barring Lowry Markin and turning into Dirk Nowitzki, which as good as he was, and I know some of the numbers were comparable this year, I'm not betting on Lowry turning into Dirk Nowitzki. Regardless, you went out and got a player who's a top 20 player in the NBA in Donovan Mitchell. He got you to the playoffs. I think they're pretty safe for the top four seed again in the East. Philly's gotten worse. They should probably jump Philly. As long as Donovan stays healthy, you're back to the postseason. And then you can deal with the, oh, can he win in the playoffs? Can you win with a guard, high-scoring guards, et cetera? Are they the modern league or not? Is he good enough defensively? Whatever, whatever. I think they have a very good argument to say they won the trade. The Jazz timing and getting that much for Donovan Mitchell was a huge win for the organization. And unless Donovan turns into a bar none, no question, top 10 player in the league, I don't think there's a way the Jazz lose this trade either. I mean, I think this was a true win-win for both organizations as long as Donovan resigns. But even if Lowry is only as good as he was last year, and I you know put that in air quotes, only as good as he was last year, he was terrific. He's one of the best Jazz seasons I've ever seen from an individual player. Those draft picks, what you can turn those into, even if they turn into busts, that you had the opportunity to make those types of moves coming out of a situation that was clearly souring with Donovan Mitchell, I think it was a huge win. So right now, I don't actually think there's a definitive winner. I think it was a great move for both ends. But the ultimate determining factor will be, does Donovan resign? And I'm still not sure he does because the Clippers are going to have money. The Knicks are going to be interested in him, especially if they're able to go out and get a guy like Joel Embiid. I think they're going to want another star not just Jalen Brunson, certainly not Julius Randle. They're going to want another star star to pair with him who can go and get 50 in the playoffs. And Donovan can get you 50 in the playoffs. So that that will be the ultimate determining factor. I don't think Donovan stays in Cleveland long term. I don't either. And looking at last year, the Eastern Conference was better than the Western Conference last year. And the Cavs, in their first year together with this group, were the four seed. Yep. Right, And they're all young, they're on the younger side. None of them are older than 27, 28 years old. And they're also all under contract for at least the next two years, I believe. Um, so only up from here. And that's why I agree with you. I think that you can't determine a true winner in this trade until at least 2027 when the Jazz have used three of the Cleveland Cavaliers picks. And we will know by then if Donovan Mitchell is still in Cleveland. I, I know a lot of people were excited about 
the Cavaliers' offseason. I, I, I'm not a huge George Niang believer. Like, he's a good role player. He's a good locker room guy. People seem to like him. Uh, Max Struess is good. I, I mean, I think Max Struess is good. He's a consistent shooter, and they did not have a lot of options at that 2-3 spot. That was really their weakness. Uh, Darius Garland's very good. Donovan Mitchell's very good. I think they're a little bit repetitive. We saw it in Portland with uh, with CJ McCollum and Dame. I think it's hard to win with two little guards. I think they're going to have to move on from Darius Garland at some point and try and get a bigger body. And maybe they could go out and get a Jalen Brown or somebody like that. That, mm-hmm. that might be the move. Or a Pascal Siakam, if you could make those types of moves. I think that might be a win. But I, I still think they're not built all that well. I don't think they're very good defensively as uh, intimidating as that front court can be with Mobley and with Jared Allen. I think they're a little bit repetitive and Mobley needs to take a huge jump forward. I know everyone was expecting him last year to kind of like make that leap to superstar and he's the next Anthony Davis or whoever you want to think his comp is. He went from 15 points to 16 points. His three-point shooting actually got worse. His rebounding went from 8.3 to 9, and it kind of coincided with just his minute jump. Like, it wasn't this huge leap forward in production. I'm worried that Evan Mobley might not be the super, superstar in the making that people hoped he needs to be uh, if they're going to make that jump. But maybe he makes that jump in his third year, and, and that's fine. Maybe he had a bit of a sophomore slump. What the Cavalier frontcourt reminds me of, and I'm not saying they're as good as the duo I'm about to say in any means, but it reminds me of the Tim Duncan and David Robinson Spurs. Okay. Um, and I think that Mobley is Tim Duncan in this scenario. Sure. When Jared Allen moves on, Jared Allen's a great rim protector. He can come into his own and get those rebounds that you expect from him 10 plus a game and also take on a little bit more of a scoring load. But he was top three in defensive player of the year voting last year, Evan Mobley was. so He's, he's truly dynamic. He really is. I, I think they need a dynamic wing score and front court score, which is so ironic because that's who Larry Markinen is. You know, they, yeah. they, they would kill for Larry Markinen now. In fact, I bet you they would trade Darius Garland for Larry Markinen. I would think if you were to go back and redo that, knowing you had Donovan Mitchell in the backcourt, having a guy like Lowry in the front court to have a seven footer, and then if you could hold on to Evan Mobley too to play the five with Lowry at the three or the four, it doesn't matter who you put in between them. That would be, that would be pretty intimidating. So. That that might be what they end up regretting is that they lost the guy that they need to push them over the top and maybe they traded the wrong player where they held on to Darius and, and let go of Lowry and maybe they would have done that in reverse uh, in hindsight. So that would be my only question there. But one year out, I don't think we can definitively say there's a winner. I think both fan bases think they've got to win. And that's a good sign. You know what? I, there's nothing wrong with a win-win. And Jazz fans should root for Donovan Mitchell, in my opinion. He never did anything wrong with Utah. In fact, he's he's probably upped Utah's brand quite a bit. So I'd put him up there. All right, let's look back at the Jazz 50, going back uh, from 39 to 35. We can even go to 34 today because we named the 34th. Uh, starting last week, I'll, I'll give you the names quickly, and then we'll, we can break them down a little bit. John Drew, David Benoit, Kyle Korver, Ben Paquette, Gail Goodrich, and then uh, today, Rich Kelly. Some great legendary names. Kyle Korver is maybe the one that jumps out most interesting uh, to, to listeners today. And funny to see him jump up in this list. Kyle Korver is just an unreal shooter. I mean, he was just a modern, a, a modern injection to this team that they needed. Even with Jerry Sloan to say, like, you got you got to move the game to the perimeter, and you got to have one of those guys. You remember how good Hornacek was, and, and Kyle Korver is nowhere near as good as Hornacek was. But having a guy who that's their specialty has significant value, and, and you're still looking for players like that. Easily a top ten shooter of all time. Yeah, I think no question, and has the best ever shooting season in NBA history in a Jazz uniform. 53% from the three-point line. Like, 
a, a, a big guy shooting 53% from the floor is fine. It's pretty good. You shoot 53% from three as a guard slash wing, yeah, it's silly. So Kyle Korver belongs on the list, and uh, we're starting to get into some very familiar names on Jake and Ben every day at 1130. Uh, and then you can read the articles at kslsports.com as well. So I'd uh, tell you to make sure you go and check those out, the uh, Jazz 50. We announce them every day, counting down to the uh, opening night of the NBA season. So pretty excited for that. I got a question for you. Uh, Kyle Korver was a little bit of an NBA journeyman. Uh-huh. Outside of Utah, what jersey do you see him in the most? Mm. Probably Philly. Probably Philly. That's just where the Jazz acquired him from. But you're right. I mean, he played everywhere. He played on a lot of teams. He for was me, a weird journeyman. For me, it's Atlanta. Okay. The four all-star he made an uh, on all-star the Atlanta team. Hawks. Yep. He made an all-star team, and that's probably the right answer. It's probably where he played his best basketball. I just remember early Kyle Korver. I mean, he was next to Iggy, and I, I remember those teams, and he was the pretty boy, and he's a good-looking guy. So, <laughs> But yeah, he was a real pretty boy when he came into the league. And I was like, how's how this Creighton dude playing so well? Who's this guy? Second round pick? And he was like, yeah, he's awesome. And he was awesome. And not only was he like cool as a player, like he was a cool guy. He was he was I liked talking to him. I liked Kyle Corver a lot. So I didn't I never talked to John Drew. John Drew's dead, rest in peace, died last year. Uh great player, had serious drug issues. I remember watching David Benoit when I was younger. Ben Paquette, cool the the Paul Millsap of his era, Gail Goodrich kind of traded for Magic Johnson. That's a an all-time whiff in jazz history. And then Rich Kelly today is like the coolest looking person I've ever seen in my life. Just this crazy <laughs> mullet and a handlebar mustache and just like a wrecked you on the glass. So those guys are cool. I'm into that part of jazz history. Real quick, let's talk about a potential best, worst, and most likely scenario for the jazz season this year. Um, I think that the worst scenario would actually be what we talked about last time would be the Jazz falling somewhere between 11 and 13 because then they're not so low that their pick would be really good and they're also not making the postseason. What are your thoughts? Yeah, the worst thing you could do, I guess, is convey a pick to the Oklahoma City Thunder and it be like the 11th pick, right? Because it's top 10 protected this year. And it's not supposed to be a great draft. I'm always hesitant when I hear people say that. It's like, we don't know. Like eight of these guys are on the G League Ignite this year. Like we just don't know. And then there's going to be some NBA player. Like we didn't know Anthony Edwards was going to be Anthony Edwards. We're like, they may not love basketball. He went to Georgia. Like he went to a weird school. He didn't go to a basketball school. And now he looks like the next superstar in the NBA and is carrying Team USA potentially to a a FIBA gold medal in the World Cup. So we may say like, eh, bad draft. I don't know yet. I'm not going to buy into that. And I understand 2025 and 2026 are supposed to be historically good. But let's see what 2024 looks like during the college season and and the Ignite and Overtime Elite and what those guys are able to do. But yeah, if you basically have the same year this year that you had last season, 37 and 45, I think that's a bad spot for the Jazz. I don't think you want to be in that middle spot of it's not a good enough draft pick or it's a good draft pick that you're giving up to Oklahoma City. I think you either want to make the playoffs or you want to really badly miss the playoffs. And you say, you know what? We're doing one more year. We're going to bottom out. We're giving the ball over to Walker. We're giving the ball over to Keontae George and Taylor Hendricks. We know Lowry's good and he's going to be a part of the future. We're going to get him inked to a deal after this season. Boom. That's the season. That's the year and that's the that's the model going forward because then you have all this talent and you then you can start moving your draft picks. You can start packaging them together for other superstars. But yeah, 39 win season this year. I would say that's worst case scenario just because of the long-term implications. You don't add a superstar in the draft or a really high pick. Uh, and at the same time, you don't get the experience I think you want to have in the postseason if that's the d- decision you, you decide to make, which I do think has value. Look at Denver winning the title. They took a lot of lumps in the playoffs. 
They went, they had success, they made the conference finals, and then they get eliminated in the first round. Like you just have to deal with adversity to grow and to overcome those things uh, and, and not getting real adversity this year for the Jazz, either by winning or by losing a lot, I think would be, would be a real negative for them. So that would be the worst-case scenario. I mean, best-case scenario, they're the kings of last year, you know, and all of a sudden Lowry is, is a true, true superstar in the NBA, borderline top 15, borderline top 10 player in the NBA, averages close to 30 a game, which is actually not that crazy. Like, he did it for stretches last year. Some of the young players step up, like Keontae George is a guy, is a dude, finishes top two in Rookie of the Year. Jordan Clarkson's still good. Maybe Colin Sexton is a year removed from his knee injury and turns into not De'Aaron Fox. But, you know, that caliber of player, not quite an all-star, but but not far out. Looking in, Walker just becomes a great rebounder and, and you know, is that defensive anchor. And the pieces just fit. And Will Hardy, you know, coaches his team up really well. And John Collins rebounds to the 20-9 and nine guy that he was at one point. Like, that's best-case scenario. And that team is as good as the Kings last year. And they got eliminated in the first round, but they took their lumps. Again, they got that adversity. They took their lumps. And the Kings, I think, will be better for it this year. That's best-case scenario. For the Jazz to reach that best-case scenario, I think it falls on the shoulders of the non-Larry Markin and starters, like Walker Kessler, yeah. like Colin Sexton, if he does get the starting spot, and Jordan Clarkson. Yeah, I, I think that's totally right. I think... You know, somebody steps in and is either better than Jordan or better than Colin Sexton, or Colin Sexton turns into the guy he looked like he might be early in his Cleveland career, and then Keontae George is like, "Yeah, I'm I'm Donovan Mitchell. Like I'm that good. I'm going to be that dude for the next five years in a Jazz uniform. Get out of the way, Jordan. Like you're either on the bench or you're on another team. And I love Jordan Clarkson. I'm not saying that's like what I hope. I'm just you know, that's that's a situation where the Jazz reach their peak this year, but they're not a title contender. Yeah. In Sexton's third year in the league, I think people forget this, he averaged 24 a game. Mind He's you, a freak. Mind you, that was a bad Cleveland team. But I think if he could get up to the 17-18 range, then the Jazz could be in a really good spot to make a postseason push. Yeah, and what, what was cool about that Colin Sexton year, he shot 37% from three. It's not like he was 31% from three, taking 12 a game and just racking up points. Yeah, it wasn't a very good team, but he did it efficiently. He could get to the free throw line six and a half a game. If he could get back to that type of player and the Jazz have two 20-point-per-game guys in Lowry and Colin Sexton and he can kind of you know buy in a little bit more, make a little bit more sense within the flow of the offense, yeah, Jazz could be really good. I mean, that could be Sabonis, De'Aaron Fox. I mean, that could be that type of dynamic that you have with a little more offensive punch. All right, let's get into the mailbag. First up, from Jake Scott, your friend over there on the Jake and Ben Show. Who is the coolest player in the NBA and why is it Jimmy Butler? Mm. It probably is Jimmy Butler, and you see like what he did at the U.S. Open. Like the guys who don't take themselves too seriously are the coolest guys in the NBA. The guys who are like too obsessed with being NBA players or their their egos or whatever their identity. I think that's the worst. That's why Jordan Clarkson fits into the coolest guy in the NBA conversation. Like he shows up at the water fight in New York at Central Park. He shows up at like these weird fashion shows and is dressed audaciously. And you're just like, well, that guy is so comfortable in his own skin. That's awesome. Same with Jimmy Butler at the U.S. Open. Like, he's just hanging out with the ball boys and the ball girls and the line judges or whatever. He's just he's just cool. Who else belongs in that group of guys who truly don't care that much? Like, Jokic is cool. He's a dork. Like, Jokic is a huge dork. And he's so cool that he's such a dork. It's what's kind of always bugged me about Devin Booker. Like, he is so trying to be manicured and, like, this this specific identity of, like, I'm the next Kobe. I'm a killer. It's like... You're, just be a dude. Just be a guy. Like, you've got a trillion dollars. You're a good-looking guy. People like you. Players around the league like you. Is that not enough? Like, why does everything else have to be so, like, tightly taken care of? I wish 
I wish Kevin Durant would relax sometimes. Mm. Like even when he was in Golden State or in OKC or in Brooklyn, like he's always like making burners and like fighting with people. I'm just like, well, just chill. You're cool. You're like one of the coolest players we've ever seen in the league. You look cool. You play cool. You are cool. Just be cool. And he's like, not. Nah. Going down the fashion lane, maybe Russell Westbrook. I've, I love Russ. I know some people hate Russ. I know jazz fans hate Russ. I love Russell Westbrook. Me like, as well. I think he's like one of the coolest players in NBA history. And I really enjoy this turn he's had, this late career. Like, he's washed. He's not really helping teams win anymore. I would actually love to see him win a title. Um, he's just, I'm just going to enjoy every second of it. I'm going to enjoy every last minute I get to watch Russ because I've never seen a player play that hard with that specific skill set. The numerous warts in his game are like, it's charming. It's fun. Like, he has to work around it. And your team has to work around around like all the things he can't do. And I love that about Russ. So I, I would put Russ in there for sure. I love Russell Westbrook. I would also name Shea Gilders-Alexander. Shea's very cool and, and kind of up and coming. Man, some of those Canadians are just cool. Like some of the Canadians are just cool guys. Like it just seems like a cool genre of guys. Like yeah. I like uh, RJ Barrett a lot. Mm. And like, I don't know if he's cool, but I like the idea of like this New York guy who's not actually as good as Knicks fans think he is, but like he's kind of good. I like that. I like that's what I like. Nick's guy who's not actually as good as people think, but Nick's fans are just like, he's the coolest person ever. And he's not. But I, I'll take that. Give me R.J. Barrett as well. And I don't think it's a hot take to say Jordan Clarkson is the coolest non-All-Star in the NBA. Certainly. And, like, beloved. Like, yes. I didn't realize this. I Again, he got traded to the Jazz like the day before Christmas Eve in 2019. Because I remember doing the pregame show. And I was like, huh. Like, worst case scenario, he's an expiring contract. And I was like, you know, he's kind of a weird locker room guy. I remember saying that in there. He's like, kind of a weird locker room guy. And then I think the first game I covered, the Jazz played the Cavaliers. Or maybe it was like a couple games later, they played the Cavs where he'd been traded from. And like every single player came over and hugged Jordan Clarkson at midcourt before the game. And I was like, what? Like, And they're like, oh yeah, Jordan's the best human you'll ever meet. Like, awesome. People love Jordan Clarkson. Every place he's ever played, people love him. Uh, and that's going to happen in Utah as well. He will be a legend in Utah. I hope for his future, he can become an ambassador for jazz basketball. Some way similar to what Memdal Kerr's done a little bit and has kind of come back and been been willing to show his face around. Uh, I, I would hope Jordan Clarkson, his best identity comes as a jazz player. Because it's not a Laker. It's mm-hmm. not a Cavalier. Like, I hope... His identity in the NBA when he's done selfishly is in this state because I just I like having Jordan around this state. I think he's good for our state. So selfishly, like I like him as a Utah community member, not just as a jazz player or whatever, but like as a Utah community guy, I love Jordan. Absolutely. Love JC. Next from Glenn Anderson, who is most likely to be off the team after the All-Star game? I think the easy answer for a lot of reasons is Taylor Horton Tucker. He's young. He's making $10 million on an expiring deal. And he's at the deepest position in the on the team. So it's going to be somebody in the backcourt almost for sure. I would have said Kelly Olenek, but I think Kelly Olenek is so crucial to the frontcourt gelling and being able to play alongside uh, John Collins early. And if Taylor Hendricks isn't ready to play and spread the floor and kind of get significant minutes early in his career, Kelly becomes even more important. And as a guy who could probably be on this roster for three or four more years. Like I, there's nothing wrong with re-signing Kelly Olenek in season. Or next summer when he hits free agency. I, I, I don't think that's a loss for the Jazz at all. So that would be beneficial. So I would say Talon's probably the most likely player to not be on the roster in the second half of the season because I think he can help somebody else. 
And he also has a very tradable contract, and the Jazz are really deep. It's just, it's kind of the three strikes rule working against him as opposed to like, well, I can say why Kelly should be on the roster after the All-Star break. But, you know, Chris Dunn's in that conversation as well. Lucas Shamanich is in this conversation. Guys with non-guaranteed deals that may not fit. If Keontae George picks it up and is the guy and starting at point guard by midseason, like, I don't know if Chris Dunn has a ton of value. And he may want to say, well, man, let me go sign with a championship contender. Don't pick up my option on January 10th or whatever it is. Like, I'm going to go sign with the Suns. I'm going to go sign with the Celtics. I'm going to go sign with the Miami Heat. Like, any of these teams that are going to need that final boost. Like, he'd be great for the Lakers. He'd be awesome for the Lakers. You know, go in and be that extra defensive player. And I like the moves they've made. And he'd be great next to Austin Reeves. Like, I love Chris Dunn. So, as far as, like, an NBA player, I can see a lot of ways why he would help teams that are not where the Jazz are. But my, my obvious answer would be Taylor Horton Tucker. I agree with THT being the number one option for there. And then, of course, you could name two-way guys. I think a dark horse is Colin Sexton. If he mm-hmm. comes out and he's the same as last year, maybe a little bit worse with the knee injury, and the Jazz are like, hey, this guy's making more money a year than Larry Markinen. Yeah, Let's see what we can get for him. And, and, and still has trade value yes. because he's young and can get you 18 to 20 points a game. So, yeah, I, it's, it's a backcourt player. Taylor makes the most sense with the expiring deal. But, yeah. Colin Sexton, Jordan Clarkson in that group as well. Last question from Jared, Jared Crookston. Keontae's career defensive floor slash ceiling seems to be the biggest gap to overcome for floor time. And that's every guard. Not a lot of guards come into the league and can defend very well. Anthony Edwards is a good uh, kind of outlier to that and is really going to be, I think, a superstar on the defensive side of the ball as well as offensively. I mean, I, I his comp to me is so is so Devin Booker. It's just everything I've seen from him reminds me of Devin Booker. He wasn't as good a shooter at Baylor as Devin Booker was at Kentucky, but he played a much bigger role. He took a lot more difficult shots, and I watched him in summer league. Like the dude can bang threes. Like he's a great shooter. He's going to be fine as a shooter once he kind of adjusts to the speed of the NBA and knows where his shots are and stops taking stupid shots. Because sometimes he takes stupid shots because he's a difficult shot maker, and that's a skill. But it's it has its warts. So. I think he's Devin Booker. Devin Booker was atrocious defensively for the first five years of his career and then decided, like, hey, I'm playing next to Chris Paul. I better try hard and really has the physical tools to be a good defensive player. Kind of barrel-chested. I think that's what uh, Keontae's body is going to look like when he reaches his prime as well. So I actually bet you he ends up as a positive defender, but it won't be for the first couple of seasons. It's going to take a while. But he'll be a, he, he won't be Donovan Mitchell, who's just never bought in on that side of the floor for whatever reason. I don't know if he's not big enough. I don't know if it's... Carrying too much of an offensive load. I don't know if it was the style of how Quinn Snyder wanted everyone to funnel everyone to Rudy Gobert, but he wasn't good in Cleveland either. So he might just not be a good defensive player. I would bet Keontae George somewhere above Donovan, maybe as high as where where Booker's been. And Booker's not great still. I mean, Booker still had warts last year in the playoffs, you saw it. Thank you guys for tuning in to the Jazz Notes podcast. Recording on a Wednesday today, but you can see us next Tuesday and every Tuesday after that. Follow me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. Follow Chandler at Chandler Holt KSL. Send in your questions throughout the week. I always ask for them the day we record the podcast. Uh, but if you have some, my DMs are open. You can always DM me and uh, say, hey, answer this on the pod, or I'll even answer it privately if you want. I talk to a lot of jazz fans off off Twitter as well. So uh, reach out to me. We're always happy to have you. And then find us at kslsports.com.